Hello, my name is James Michael DuPont. This is my submission for the Hacker Public Radio on the topic of what's in my bag. The short answer is, I don't have a bag, and if I have a bag, I carry as little as possible with me in the bag. So, let me explain myself. First of all, I carry my bag not in the car, but on my person. I walk to work, or ride my bicycle, or take the bus. And because of that, I carry as little as possible with me. I lived in Europe for a long time, and I learned to live without a car. And therefore, I reduced the amount of things that I carry with me to a minimum, or what I won't be afraid to lose. So let me go over some tips on how to travel bagless or with as little as possible. Well, first of all, um, you might ask yourself, well, how do I uh, go without a laptop? I am an old school type person, so you might ask, how can I live without being constantly online? Well, the first thing is, is that uh, there's a wonderful invention called newspapers, and I like to read newspapers. So I'll carry a newspaper in my hand, actually, and walk around with a newspaper in my hand or under my arm. And, okay, maybe I'll have a little bag to carry a newspaper or a couple of papers with me in a plastic bag or something I've picked up at a shop. So, but those are just disposable bags as opposed to my backpack or laptop bag. Otherwise, I might have a book with me that I'm reading and I'll read that book while I'm traveling. And I like to read while I travel because it's a nice quiet time to focus on a book and I don't have to worry about network signal strength or Wi-Fi passwords, or constantly writing status updates, or obsessively taking pictures of etc. and posting that to websites. So some other things that I do is I'll print out a map or my itinerary, I'll print out important information, and what I've done is I've created uh, mobile accounts. I mean, I do have a mobile phone now. i finally broken down, and we have a smartphone, which I generally don't carry around with me, but on my smartphone, I'll have a separate account for my email and all my other accounts that I only use from the smartphone, so if the smartphone is compromised or lost, I'm not afraid of losing my main account authentication. So basically what I'm trying to say is that you want to use a separate account with an easy password, basically a disposable account, and on that disposable account you only put information that you don't mind losing or having someone else read, especially if you're mobile. So you don't need to carry passwords with you, you can carry the password to your mobile account in your head. I don't suggest using passwords that you can remember for your accounts. I use uh, generated passwords. I use the program APG or automatic password generator to generate passwords and I use unique passwords for all my different online accounts. Now you might say, well where do you store those passwords? Well there's different tools for storing passwords. I won't recommend any right now because I don't have the optimal uh, solution for it, but basically even if you were to store them in a encrypted file on your hard drive or use a different password management tool, I don't suggest that you carry those passwords around with you on a laptop in case you lose them or keep your files. This is where we're going that the idea is minimal amount of information being transferred and minimal amount of information being traveled around with and minimal travel. Personally, I try and travel as little as possible and also to reduce my uh, fuel costs and I think twice before traveling not having a car is also great for that because especially in America not having a car 
is a real interesting challenge and I'd like to talk about that some more if you have time. So this is going from what's in my bag, I already told you what's in my bag, nothing, and now we're going to just explain why I have nothing and the whole philosophy behind nothing. So basically when I go to work I do not carry my laptop from home to work so what I do is I uh, VPN or even SSH into a server at work. Luckily I'm working for a company that is enlightened enough to allow me to do that. Other companies required me to carry a laptop home with me in order to even log onto their corporate site so I opted when possible not to carry that laptop and not to work from home just for that reason. So I would work at home on just other things and stay in the office later, which was unfortunate, but I'm no longer at that company and I hope to continue working at this company. So really you have a choice in choosing your employer and your employer also has a choice in choosing you in terms of what's compatible and what's not. Some employers are enlightened enough to allow people to work without carrying laptops and devices around with them at all times. Also, I don't carry around a company mobile phone or even a mobile phone because I don't like to have a mobile phone on me at all times. It is unnecessary radiation. We're getting re enough radiation anyway, and it's also an unnecessary invasion of my privacy. And we all know that our privacy is really one of the few things that we even have left, and it's becoming smaller and smaller every day. So why should we feel the need to give in to privacy invasions for no reason. So I've covered the idea of not traveling and not caring and basically reducing your footprint, your travel footprint. So here's some other tips that I've learned for security and privacy. First of all, don't read your private emails from your work network. You shouldn't be logging on to any of your private accounts from your work because the system administrators will be able to key log or capture your passwords uh, from the work network in theory and also read your emails in theory. So basically, you don't want to be logging into anything private from your work accounts. So what I do is I create my own work-related accounts on different various servers, and I use them only from work, and that prevents unnecessary invasion of my privacy again, and it also enables me, at the end, I can turn over the passwords to the administrators or whatever. When I leave the company, they could audit them, and I don't care because all of that is only work-related. If I have to send a message to my wife or my family, I can do that from my work-related email accounts, but only those messages that I send from work are then uh, readable, and I have no fear of people getting at my main accounts. So let's continue with some more ideas on privacy and not exposing yourself too much. You don't necessarily need to, for example, carry your private SSH keys around. You could create secondary SSH keys and, for example, email them uh, to your, you can make a disposable SSH key and email that to your disposable email and then you can use that only on the places where you need to have SSH into, and then you can remove those accounts later if you don't need them. So again, temporary uh, passwords, of course, emailing them around makes them vulnerable, but in the case that they're compromised, at least you can identify uh, easily what SSH key needs to be disabled, and you can track 
when it's being used. So I think that is at least a better idea than carrying around your main SSH key and then having that compromised. Of course, you could go into these huge issues of, oh, well, I encrypt my hard drive, etc. But it's better not to have the data on your hard drive and not to carry the hard drive around than to carry it around encrypted. So, yeah, well, I lived in Frankfurt for a long time and I lived right next to the train station. So basically I would be able to walk out the door and go down the street and within two minutes I was at the main travel hub, the train, Frankfurt train station, which I could reach all destinations from and all destinations stopped at. So I was really in a luxurious state of being able to travel anywhere in Europe and also then take the train to the airport. Can you imagine that in Germany you can take the train to the airport and you can get onto the to the train from a whole slew of local buses, local trams, etc. that will then take you to the train station and then from the train station you can take a high-speed train to the airport and then get from the airport you can go anywhere in the world. So basically I was completely mobile. Now I'm living in Lawrence, Kansas. There is no train to the airport. There's an expensive shuttle bus and the airport is relatively far away. I lived in Topeka where uh, the bus was almost unusable, at least where we were living. And the bus would not be northbound and southbound, but only let's say southbound. And if you wanted to go to the shop and then come back home, you would have to uh, go to the shop and then go downtown and then take the bus all the way back to your house. So it was very, very bad to even do that. In addition, the buses only ran until 5 p.m. So even if you wanted to go shopping after work, you could not. Um, and even worse than that, you could not even walk to the shop because there were no sidewalks on the side of the street. There was only a narrow road on the 29th street for example we needed to go and there was no way to actually even walk or bicycle for some reason and i can go into these reasons i might as well because if you're listening to this then i mean you can stop at any time and i'll just keep on going so basically uh, the sidewalks are the responsibility of the homeowners and the homeowners decided not to implement a sidewalk so you have huge sections of the town which have no sidewalks and then you'll have sidewalks on one house and then they'll stop on the next house even worse than that this is my pet peeve the sidewalks are disconnected from any shops so you can't get from the street to the sidewalk you can't get from the sidewalk to the shop they just put it in the sidewalk maybe to say they have a sidewalk or to fulfill some regulations i mean there might be some regulations saying you need to have a sidewalk in some places but the sidewalk is completely useless for people using wheelchairs or people on bicycles now on this topic you're not allowed to ride your bicycle on the sidewalk in many places but i have been studying the uh, police data for example in lawrence and it seems that many many more accidents happen on the road and on intersections than on the sidewalk. So you're much safer to be on the sidewalk away from the cars than to be on the road, a bicycle, especially here in Kansas where they have no vulnerable road users laws. And if someone runs you over, then the punishment is not that great. So they kind of treat it like having a car accident, just running people over. So and it happens all the time here in Kansas and no one seems to care. In general, I want to make this point about Kansas that they are very car dependent and many sections of the town are dependent on having cars available to you at all times. As I said, there's no sidewalks, there's no bike lanes, the bus system is horrible. There's no other way to get around. If you want to take the taxi, you have to wait for half an hour for a dilapidated... This is not Topeka. You have to wait for a dilapidated taxi which has exhaust coming into it 
and it's horrible. It takes forever, and it's not that cheap either. So really, if you don't have your own car, then your, your life pleasure is reduced. Now, I never had a driver's license, and I'm not even planning on getting one at this point. I could easily get one, but it really goes against my idea of sustainable living. So basically, this is where I want to get to, that my philosophy is that we should choose our places of living and choose our work and choose where we live so that we do not need to have cars. That's why I chose to live in Lawrence and we're so happy that we found a house that is near a shopping center and we can walk to shops, we can bicycle downtown on sidewalks or on bike lanes. I choose personally to ride on the sidewalk like many other people do. Technically it is illegal but not enforced and I also ride on side streets where there is little or no traffic. The main traffic is on the couple streets and those are the streets with the most accidents. If you stay off of those streets then your chances of having an accident are reduced. Basically the number of cars driving around and many of these people are not paying attention. They have uh, children and they're screaming at the children while fumbling with their mobile devices and they're not used to um, looking out for pedestrians or for bicyclists because well first of all it doesn't seem to matter if you run them over and second of all only people well even Topeka only people who are poor um, actually walk or ride bicycles um, in Lawrence you have a lot of international students and many of those international students are walking or taking the bus or riding bicycles so so basically if we imagine that the cost of fuel is going to go up and up. If we look at some of the uh, post-oil peak uh, theories, then we should really focus on organizing our lives around not using fuel and not having to travel great distances in order to get things. That's why I like living in Lawrence. There's a vibrant uh, farmer's market here, even though the farmers are basically fuel dependent, many of them, and they need to use fuel to get to town or even get to the market. There are a large amount of them around here and if the price of fuel were, go, were to go up, I'm sure there would be great impacts on the people, at least for the short term, would be protected. For the long term, of course, we can't really um, predict what's going to happen. At least I would say that if the situation in our country um, would change dramatically, then at least I would have a short buffer period where I don't need to have a car. Let's say the price of oil would go up to $6 a gallon or $7 a gallon, then I would not be directly affected like many other people would. So I'm kind of directly affected through the cost of other goods that I need. Um, and of course, the only way to protect yourself against that would be through different off-the-grid living type situations, which we all know about. I can tell you about my experiences in Kosovo, where the people there are already living off the grid for the most part. Uh, they don't have running water uh, in the mornings, and the power gets turned off for many hours a day, so I could tell you about that. Um, they have big tubs of water in the bathtub, in the bathroom, and they fill that up when the water's running, and when the water's turned off, they can use that in the morning to wash themselves and a lot of them have generators or battery backups and, you know, um, gas cookers work very nicely. And you can really live without uh, power for a couple of hours. Small refrigerators help instead of having huge refrigerators. Using Many of them have keep food um, not even in the refrigerator. They put it in the oven. So when they cook the food, they'll put the food that's finished in the oven to keep it away from the flies. And then they'll just eat whatever's in the oven. After that, when someone comes home, 
they'll look in the oven for something to eat and they'll eat that and they have pantries with food in it that's not so perishable etc many of the things are dried sausages the cheese also doesn't need to be refrigerated it can go into a brine solution if you use salt and oil and sugar uh, many things can be preserved so we'll learn that many people are worried about the uh, changes in our economy but you have to remember that humans survived for thousands of years before we had electricity it's only been a hundred and some years uh, since we have widespread electricity and of course we all are now uh, used to it and dependent on it but many parts of the world live without all these wonderful things and it is possible we did it before and i'm sure we could go back to doing it again so yeah and in terms of a maker movement uh, we used to call that tinkering and inventing my uh, grandfathers uh, all were tinkerers my father as well and many people i know are now rediscovering the maker movement um, i won't go too much into that but basically i think that uh, if you come out here to kansas you'll find many people who can rep still repair tractors and take apart motors and fix their own things they don't call themselves makers they just call themselves uh, farmers and many of them are pretty self-sufficient. Once you go away from the main towns, then you have to become more and more self-sufficient and plan your uh, lifestyle uh, properly. So I hope you enjoyed listening to me. This was my first recording for Hacker Public Radio. It was a long rambling um, chat. And yeah, I would appreciate your feedback to some projects that I'm working on. Well, basically, I'm starting a project to create a Linux install fest and that's going to be on the 20th of October. You can check it out, um, installfestlawrence-eorg.eventbrite.com. That's installfestlawrence-eorg.eventbrite.com. That's the project that I'm working on. I've got other things linked from there. And um, you can send me an email to jamesmikedupont at gmail.com. That's my main email. If I'm at home, I'll read it. Otherwise, I've got a bunch of other emails, but you can just wait until I get home. I've got a Twitter, which is HackerMike, H4CK3RM1K3 on Twitter. And that HackerMike name is used all over the place, so I'd appreciate any feedback at all. I'm planning on organizing a yearly conference here in Lawrence. I would like to organize a free uh, Libra open source, open knowledge, open hardware conference, ideally at the university if we can get that done, otherwise in some other place. But I would like to establish that as a yearly festival like the Linux Fest in Ohio. And there are very many interesting people here in Kansas and in the area who I would like to invite as long as well as the international and uh, national speakers. I'm sure that Lawrence is a great place to visit. It's got a wonderful downtown that you can walk around, and it's also very safe in comparison to Topeka and Kansas City. So what else do I want to say? I want to say thank you to the people from the um, Hacker Public Radio for setting this up. I really enjoy listening to your talks, and I hope you enjoyed listening to mine. Thank you. Over and out, Mike. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. 
Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All BinRev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license.